We're going to read from two places in the Bible tonight, one the old, one in the new, to the book of Judges. First of all, we'll go to chapter 1. And then, having read some verses from this portion, you'll be going over to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Lovely to see you here tonight, and I myself have looked forward to coming as you've heard, first visit to the pulpit of this church, and we pray for the help of God this evening. It's good to meet with friends and to renew our fellowship. We're turning to this portion here, book of Judges, <coughs> chapter 1. <coughs> and if you can, put a marker, please, in the chapter, because if we... Um, make a reference elsewhere in the Bible, we'll want to get back to the words of Judges chapter 1. Verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first? to fight against them. It's good to ask the Lord concerning the affairs of every day. That's a lesson for the Christian. You can easily overlook that in the pressures of life. And uh, you can be torn this way, that way, with anxiety at times. And then, then, you may, you may forget to ask the Lord here, this is the first lesson, you see. Here in the book of Judges, the child of God is taught that valuable lesson. Don't take anything for granted. After all, the Lord says, you have not because you ask not. And if the Lord diligently applied that principle to us, we would go short in many, many ways. And then we would cry out to the Lord, Lord, why have you done this to me? And the Lord could answer back, couldn't he? Very plainly, you have not because you ask not. Well, did you ask me? And we may be remiss and not know it. So there's the first lesson in the book of Judges. Now we have an answer. It's a great thing to have an answer from the Lord. As we have learned tonight, a dear one lies in hospital needing the attention of the great physician. And we want to say, Lord, draw near Amen. and even give the answer yeah. that thy presence may be made very real, very precious. Here, in this case, verse 2, the Lord is speaking. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. There's a need sometimes for friends to work together, to labor for the right to raise the banner high and then say, let us press forward with God. So Judah said that to Simeon and 
Simeon is expected not only to go with him, but uh, to, in the future time, to have the assistance of Judah as well. So one helps the other. Everybody needs help. And we need help, but each one of us tonight needs help in a different way, quite possibly. But the Lord knows all about it. Verse 4, And Judah went up, having asked the Lord for guidance. You can see he responds. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew of them and Bezek ten thousand men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, because this man, the ruler of the place, had given his name to the city. And that's why you have that little bit of repetition there. Adonai Bezek in Bezek. He had established himself not only as the lord of the manor, so to speak, but he was the ruler of the city and that kingdom, that little kingdom that he possessed. Now we look at the next piece of information. They fought against him. That's verse 5. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. They pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Just let me check that you're able to get a marker in the place. And we go across to the last chapter of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, we have three verses to read here. In Galatians chapter 6. You'll be familiar with these verses. I think nearly everybody in the congregation tonight will know about these verses. But they're interesting just the same. You look at verse 7, Galatians 6. Three words to begin with. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary. You could say that again. Let us not be weary in well-doing. You should if you were doing wrong, you should be weary of that. And I would have to say you should have been weary of it long ago. But if you're doing well by yourself and by the Lord, you're doing the right thing, then you can rejoice. Let's not be weary. If you are, ask the Lord to renew your strength because we all can get tired. I am afraid the physical man isn't made of iron and steel. But uh, we may get weary. It would be sad 
altogether to be weary in well-doing, wouldn't it? I hope you're not weary of reading your Bible. I hope you're not weary of coming to the hour of prayer. I hope you're not weary of saying a word for the Savior. You see, I'm just illustrating what it is to be doing well. Let's not be weary in well-doing. Think of that. For in due season, we have to wait for the harvest betimes with patience. Maybe we're short in that. We have, we all, if we're not perfect, we all have some, we all have some shortcomings. Could it be you're short in that? Well, the Lord's speaking to you very clearly. The Lord's speaking to you tonight. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now, the Lord has pledged to make that good, and he will. Let's keep our Bibles open here at Galatians, bowing briefly in prayer. Lovely to be here tonight and have the book of God in front of us, isn't it? And even better, sitting in the house of God with a heart waiting upon him, saying, Lord, just come by tonight in a special way and speak to my soul. And then if you go away from the meeting, feeling the Lord has spoken to you, whatever that word is, you can be glad you came. You'll go home with thanksgiving. Now let's just pray and ask the Lord about it. Lord, draw near. We thank thee for thy presence already. And for the prayer that has gone up from the congregation and then from thy servant here, minister, in the congregation. Hear our cry. Be near to us tonight, Lord. Come by and speak to us. Maybe somebody's here tonight not feeling great, and yet for all that, with a bit of a struggle, has come to the house of God. Make it up to that person, Lord. Let them go away saying, even though they carry this weight of bodily infirmity, May they go away saying, I'm glad I came because I met, I met the Savior tonight. And for all we know, Lord, someone may be here who does not know thee. We pray that they may hear the voice of the Lord. Take that step and come. Hear prayer, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May I stress again the words of verse 7 there? I hope you have your Bible open. I'd, I'd like you to keep your Bible open and look at these words because you can, when you see it for yourself, you can take much more in. And I would want you to do that. You see, verse 7 is saying, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're all familiar with the law of the harvest. We've seen the illustration of it there in the book of Judges. And here in Galatians chapter 6, we have the doctrine for it, the teaching of it. In those familiar words in verse 7, spelling out the truth. That whatever a man or a woman or even a child will sow, they will also reap. The verse 7 tells us that 
plainly. And when you look at it, you'll see that there is an accompanying warning because we start with the three words that I emphasized in the reading, be not deceived. Multitudes of people in this country are deceived. They're even deceived about the law of the harvest. They're deceived into thinking that it does not matter, doesn't matter how they live or what they do or where they go without God and without them having one thought of the hereafter. They take that attitude. It doesn't matter. They're forgetful of the law of the harvest. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's no such a thing as escaping that, of getting away from that. People think they can live in sin and get by. They can go on day after day in the way of the transgressor, maybe even raise their fist against the Lord and imagine somehow, imagine that they will never suffer any serious consequence to their sin. They're making a terrible mistake. But the Bible says here, be not deceived. They may be deceiving themselves on that thing, but I say the opening words of the verse ought to remain with us very, very forcibly. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And we ought to think about that as well. For when you consider the situation, the Lord is mocked. God is mocked every day in this country. There are people, and probably for all I can say, in this area, very nice part of the country, but there could be people living not very far from our doors. They're sneering at the things of God and sneering at the Christians, sneering at the Bible. They're mocking God by doing this. The Bible says fools make a mock of sin. And they're doing that, thinking that the day of reaping will never come. Thinking that no matter what they do, what they say, how they live, there'll be no consequences to their life of ungodliness. That's a terrible mistake. You have it here. You have it here in black and white. Whatsoever a man soweth, even if he is a skeptic, even if he's an atheist, even if he hates God, it will make no difference. If he hates God and detests the Bible and will not go near the house of God, I say he will reap what he sows. That's the dreadful side to it. And it's facing us tonight. Whatsoever God put these words into the Bible, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's no way that you can get round this and escape suffering the consequences of sin. That's what the Lord would have us notice here in this verse. But then it may be a surprise to you. I don't know. But verse 7 applies to the Christian too. It's not just the ungodly man who's in view here. And the ungodly man is in view. God's speaking about the ungodly. Whatsoever that man sows, 
Make no mistake about it. He's going to reap the harvest. The day of reckoning is certainly coming. What about the Christian? Isn't it true also of the Christian that what that man, that woman who's a believer is sowing will produce a wonderful harvest? Whatsoever a Christian sows, he will also reap. And that is something to rejoice our hearts. And verse 8 will show you that. Have a look at verse 8 and see. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you're a Christian, you will not want to sow to the flesh. We would have to say in respect of that, there are Christians who are not living in touch with God. We might say, oh, they're backslidden. Or that person might say of themselves, I think I've got cold. I think I've got away from God. There are people in Northern Ireland today who are going to confess that they're backslidden. They're going to say, I'm not in the right place with the Lord. I'm not in the place where I used to be. That's terrible. You're sowing to the flesh in that case. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest. It'll be a sad harvest. But you'll have to do the reaping. Then there is the spiritual side in verse 8. He that soweth to the spirit. We have to live unto God. If you've consecrated your life to the Lord and if you try to do that every day or nearly every day as the Lord brings it to your notice, then you're sowing to the Spirit. The man who's praying, really praying, is sowing to the Spirit. When you're reading God's Word, meditating on it, trying to have that Word burned into your soul, you're sowing to the Spirit, praise God. And when you come to the meeting, you join in the singing, your heart is glad, then you're sowing to the Spirit. When you say a word of witness for Christ, even though, even though you talk in weakness, sometimes we, we feel very sensitive about that. And we say to ourselves, I wish I could speak with more power. And we bemoan the fact that the word we pass on for the Lord's sake just seems to be so feeble. But the Lord can use any kind of word. He can use the quietly spoken word as well. And even though your testimony may be feeble, the Lord can still use it. For if you're sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap a wonderful harvest. So there's good news there. Verse 9 also relates to the Christian. Let us not be weary in well-doing. That's not a reference to the unconverted. That's not a word to some man or woman who doesn't know the Savior. That's for the believer. So the believer too has a share in this. You can be interested in this. You can say, yes, I want to know more about the law of the harvest for I see how God in his word has spoken of the Christian as well. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Take that as a word from the Lord. I can't apply it. The Lord will apply it. The Lord will show you if it relates to you in a very personal way, the Lord will be saying already, that means in that matter, or in that matter, there, that thing there, whatever it is, the Lord will speak to you about that. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Do you have to make a new start? 
I think a Christian has to make a new start betimes. I can't put a, a date on it, but it may be every year. It may be New Year's Day. It may be your birthday. It's for the Lord to tell you about that. But has the time come to make a new start? And the reason for that is you may have become weary. Is there anybody here in the meeting who never gets tired? Some of you have been working today, working very hard. And you could pay the price for tiredness by nodding over and I'll do my best to keep an eye. I'll do my best to keep an eye on you. But you see, we all get tired. And it wouldn't be a surprise if sometimes, even although we don't want to say it, if we could get tired in the Lord's work too. And what do we need? To be refreshed. To be refreshed in heart. To be encouraged in spirit. To make a new start because we were weary there. And, and you've done that with a physical man. If you say, oh, I know what tiredness is. I've been tired too many times. You, you know well you had to sit down and take a rest. Maybe it was the good night's sleep that you needed. But however we may describe it, whether it was the rest that you required or the sleep or both for that matter, then I hope you, you woke on a new day with a new zeal, a new start. Let us not be weary, men and women. For the Lord, the Lord knows all about us and he wrote these words into the Bible, knowing our plight. I'm glad of that. I'm glad the Lord knows. I take him at his word. In due season, the Lord controls the seasons. Our sister was touching on that tonight in one of the messages in song. But the Lord handles the seasons. And in due season, there's a season coming up. And God has put a label on it. It's a season of refreshing, a season of harvesting. We shall reap if we faint not. We're not to give in to the devil. We're not to back off when the Lord speaks to us. But let us press on with God. I should say some words about the story in, in uh, Judges chapter 1 because it's extremely interesting and Unique. There isn't a story like it in the Bible. If I call it a story, you'll know at the same time I'm saying in my heart, this is a history. This is a real occurrence. It's not a story in the sense of, oh, uh, somebody made it up and it has no bearing on reality. That's not the case. We're talking about the inspired history in God's word. And we're looking at a man called Adonai Bezek. He's not a man who'll present us with a pretty picture. No, no, just the opposite. The information about him is he fought against the armies of Israel. Not only that, he's a cruel, despotic king. And then on top of it all, he victimized those unfortunates who became his captives. He humiliated them in the most degrading fashion. We can hardly believe it. The cruelty that he employed 
with the people who got themselves into his clutches. He says there, I cut off their thumbs and I cut off their great toes, 70 of them, and I kept them under my table. That's where they got their food, off the floor. Doubtless he would have kicked at them also. He kept them there like animals, groveling for their food. And no doubt that would be a case for the survival of the fittest among them. It was a dreadful thing altogether. And this man has gone on in sin. I am looking at this sin that is categorized. He was sinning in other ways too. He was a despicable man, a fearful wretch of a being, altogether a hideous monster. My heart is heavy when I look at his history. But it seemed as if the day of reckoning would never come. He's a pagan king. He hates everything that's right and good. There's nothing in him that would appeal to you as a person. Why am I saying he continued in sin for a long time? Well, he says, 70 kings I captured. You wouldn't capture 70 kings in one battle. And you wouldn't capture 70 kings in one day or one month or one year either unless something very, very extraordinary happened. Let us say, for example, this is just a piece of imagination on my part. Let us say that he could capture two kings in a year and that might be quite an undertaking to capture two of them, take them prisoner, lead them along in chains, Humiliate them in every way you could. Then cut off their thumbs and whack off their toes, their great toes. And they herd them under the table like dogs. I say, if you could capture two kings per year, perhaps you would agree, that's going. That's going some. Well, then it would take them 35 years. I'm not putting the case tonight that He caught kings in that mechanical way, two per year. No, I'm just taking that as an illustration. I'm showing you it would require some length of time for him to gather that number of men into his house and kick them about as if they were animals on the floor. He must humiliate them, not content to defeat them in battle and lead them home in chains. He must humiliate them in this cruel and despicable manner. Is there a God in heaven? Yes, there is. Is there a God who requires men, wicked men, wicked men to reap what they sow? Oh, yes. There are people in this country, people in Britain at large, who have committed horrific crimes. Crimes to make your blood run cold. And they go on. Some of them, they're so hideously engaged in sin and wrongdoing. They actually seem to take it as a light matter. I feel Adonai Bezak did that. It seemed to be a kind of fun to him. To have these poor unfortunates under his table uh, drop them a crumb and maybe humiliate them in the giving of the crumb to them. You can be sure that would be the way of it. Uh, can he go on? Can he continue in his sin? Is there a God in heaven? Yes, there is. 
Is there a day of reckoning? Oh, yes. Is there a day, even for the hardest of men, when the axe will fall? Oh, yes. Men in this country who have got by, who've never really had to answer for horrific crimes, will find there's a day of accounting that God has set unavoidably in the heavens. And King Adonai Bezek knew his day had come. But you'll see there the interesting detail that when he was losing in the battle, he had the thought that he would not be captured. And so he fled, verse 6 says, and they pursued after him. Oh yes, he's a man on the run. Like some criminals are wanted because of their wicked deeds in the past. It used to be in days of old when the law was carried out in a different manner than it is today when wanted notices would have been up on the wall in the police station along with the picture. It was only a matter of time, policemen could say then, until the long arm of the law would reach out and find you. He ran for his life, Adonai Bezak. And there are sinners running away from truth, running from God, who can't face up to the fact of sin. Mr. Martin, who uh, knows from experience what it is to be inside the cell, he will speak on occasions of noticing men through his window in another cell further off, walking up and down, two o'clock in the morning. And he found that they were doing that uh, night after night. And a warder explained, these men have a hideous past. They can't get away from that past. They're seeing the faces of their victims. This man knows about his crimes, all right. He has counted them, 70 kings. I will put it to you then that he has their faces too. For all his brazen wickedness, he treated it like fun. But it was no fun. How many there are who go down to the town? Come the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday even, for fun. It isn't fun. They need to know now, as never before, they need to know with conviction. Their sins will find them out. Be sure, God says. Let me just show you uh, in, in closing how this man changed. Because verse 7 suggests a change. You, you will have, I don't know if you listen to the news, but I think everybody does. You may not be an ardent listener or viewer, but yes, you're familiar with the news betimes. Don't you know that if some hideous criminal, I mean somebody really vile and wretched, who has turned the heart of the community by their wicked behavior, They've been so down in degradation as to, and we're living in an ungodly society, but even that ungodly society is revolted by what they have done. But that, that same person will have the audacity to come to the court 
and say when he's asked, how do you plead? And you say, not guilty. Not guilty should his hands be dripping with blood. Not guilty, although he has been caught in the act. You see, it doesn't lie easily to a wicked sinner to confess his guilt. He wants to hide it. And for a start off, Adonai Bezek was like that running away from reality. Realizing the day of reckoning has come, running away from truth. But they caught up with him. And then the soldiers took him in hand. I, I, I don't know about this. I don't see that God commanded them to do it. I don't believe the Lord did command them. But they took it on themselves to grab a hold of this king. I think through disgust. They had seen how he treated these other captives. Not with respect at all, but humiliating them. So they would have said, these soldiers said, it's time, my boy, you had a dose of your own medicine. They grabbed a hold of him. They whacked off his thumbs. They whacked off his great toes. And that's when he made this critical statement. You have it here. As I have done, he says. He's not pleading innocence. He's not saying, I'm guiltless. You have to prove the case against me. I didn't do it. Oh, no. Yes, he did. He says, I have done this. It seemed as if, if it was a case of getting two by year, two kings per year, captured 35 years, he would have gone on and on. Seventy kings. He started off with maybe two and then three, then four kings, five kings, ten kings. You would say, don't you think you should stop there? You've gone far enough. This man is not prepared to stop. And we have ungodly men out there tonight. And maybe there's somebody here not saved. And you've heard the gospel already. Maybe you come regularly. You're sitting under the sound of the gospel every Lord's Day. You haven't come to know the Savior yet. Haven't you thought about that? Time's running out. The day of reckoning is coming. God says, be sure your sin will find you out. You need to seek the Lord. You need to come to Christ before you reap that harvest. And this man has begun to reap the harvest. And he says this, listen carefully. It's staggering. Listen carefully. It's so important. As I have done, so God hath requited me. He brought God into it. He sees the rightness of the crime. He doesn't blame the soldiers. He doesn't say those soldiers from Israel, they're so cruel and wicked, forgetting how wicked he is. It's easy to blame the other person, but he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word about the soldiers. He doesn't even say, it's my bad luck that I was caught on the hop by that army and taken prisoner and treated like this. Just my bad luck. Some criminal is in jail tonight lamenting bad luck. It's nothing to do with bad luck. It's just a matter of your sin tracking you down and finding you out. The day of reckoning has come. But I want you to, that's not the most important point. The most important point is this. What would that man know about God? He's an idolater. He's an Amorite. 
He knows nothing about the truth, nothing about Scripture, nothing about God. Where did he learn about God? He's serving a false God. He has an idol to worship. An idol. Not God. He's not a person brought up with the truth. And yet he's speaking as if he is. And I believe that God has revealed, first of all, his sin to him. And God has revealed himself to him. So he can say, it's God who's dealing with me. God's dealing with me. He could see the hand of God in this. That's powerful. As I have done, he says, so God, God, who's there in heaven, God hath requited me. That's staggering. A man, as I said, who's a criminal, who's wicked through and through, he's not going to confess his guilt. He's going to cover it over. That's what wicked men are doing, covering over sin. It takes a man with a spirit of repentance to say, I'm the guilty one. Remember how you got saved? Remember the night you got saved? You took the sinner's place, didn't you? You go down earnestly before the Lord, and you said something to this effect, Lord, I'm just a poor, lost, guilty, wretched sinner, I'm lost in sin. I need the Savior. I want you, Lord, to come into my heart and save me. And the Lord did that. You confessed your sin. You acknowledged your guilt. You cried to the Lord to save you. It may be this man did that then. Because he should have died. An Amorite was under the death sentence. And all the armies of Israel knew that. They were to kill the Amorites. So they would have had that law in mind when they got a hold of Adonai Bezek. They killed him right there on the spot. But they didn't. They brought him to Jerusalem. A man saying, as I have done. Look, look at my hands. Evidence for many a long day after that. The thumb's gone. Look at my hands, he would have said. As I have done, you see. Look at my hands. As I have done, so God has requited me. Do you want to have a look at my feet? People, if they've suffered a while after some time, get to live with their illness or their scars in such a way they can show them. You want to have a look at my feet? Look at that foot there. No, no great toe. The big toe is gone. He says, as I have done, his mutilated foot is speaking to him about God. Just like his hands, his mutilated hands are speaking to him about God. And he's saying, as I have done, Look at my hand. So God hath requited me. I believe that man got saved. I believe he got right with God. If so, I'm going to meet him in heaven. But he'll have perfect hands in heaven. We won't bring our infirmities to heaven with us. 
And if he came to know the Savior, then he's a wonderful triumph of grace. There's a wonderful victory in his life. I would like you to come to know the Lord tonight. Do you know what the Savior says in his word? It's in the Old Testament. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return unto the Lord. For he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Will you take that step now? And seek the Lord. Then this harvest supper will take on a new meaning altogether for you. And you'll say, if it's right there in the church, I came to know the Lord as my Savior. God bless his word tonight.